Alright, uh, good evening everybody. Thank you for joining us again. We are here for our second uh, in the series of the themes of Rosh Hashanah. Wonderful to see you all. Nice to have all the board members who I missed last night due to the board meeting. Welcome back, Dave. Nice to see you again. Um, Alright, so the topics we're going to be doing... So for those who, who didn't join us last night, just to give us a little bit of a, um, a background. So... Um, so what we spoke about last night was, um, you know, the themes of uh, Rosh Hashanah. You know, we, we started going into the, the, the nature of the day and the experience of the day. And we focused on um, a number of different ideas. Now, if you didn't get the, um, what is it called? The, uh, you didn't get the uh, Zoom link, you could by all means. But yesterday we spoke specifically about the shofar and what the shofar symbolizes and the, and the meaning behind it. What we're going to be focusing on today is um, the themes of the Musaf service. So, so please, if you didn't get yesterday or at the end of the show, I'll put in the link so you can uh, find the podcast. But the, the, the Musaf service of Rosh Hashanah is, is, is completely different to the Musaf service of every, other, of every other day of the year. Because whereas every other day, usually Musaf, now Musaf by definition, the word Musaf means to, to add Lohosif something means to add something. And the reason that we have a Musaf service is Musaf was an additional sacrifice that was offered in the temple on certain days of the year. So on the, the, the Chagim, on Shabbat, on, on, on Rosh Chodesh, um, there were always these additional sacrifices. And because that's the case, there would be an additional um, service in the temple and we have an additional service in Shul. And that's what's called the Musaf service. And throughout the Musaf service, the, the main part of it is really talking about the sacrifices. There's a part that talks about the day and the significance of the day, but it predominantly focuses on the sacrifices that would have been offered in the times of the temple, which is, so a lot of the songs that we sing, you know, Uviyom, 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 HaShabbat, that's all talking in, you know, Shnei Kvasim B'nei Shnat Mimim, you'd offer two Kvasim, two sheep, they were one year old. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like it's a nice song until you understand what it means. It's like who sings about sacrifices. But that's exactly what it was. But the Musaf, and that's what it is on Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, uh, all the other times, Rosh Chodesh, Shabbat. On Rosh Hashanah, there become three themes that, um, that sort of are, are the themes of the day. But specifically, the themes of Rosh Hashanah. <clears throat> and what happens is they, they take each of these themes and quote ten verses from the Tanakh to support the importance of this theme. So it usually goes as three verses from the Torah, three verses from the writings, which is usually Tehillim from the book of Psalms, three from the prophetic writings, and then the tenth one is usually from the, is, is from the Torah. So these three themes are Machyot, Zichronot, and Shofarot. And uh, so Machyot is the concept of Hashem is King, uh, this, and this is what Yom Adin is. Yom Adin is the day where we acknowledge Hashem is the king over everything. Uh, second group is Zichronot. The idea that Hashem remembers that everything is coming in front, you know, in front of Hashem today. Hashem remembers everything, all the deeds, all of creation. That's the second theme. And the third theme, which is what we spoke about yesterday, which is Shofarot. Now the Shofar, we spoke yesterday about a theme of Awakening people from their slumber, from their spiritual uh, um, blaseness of life, and to awaken us, to arouse us, to come closer to Hashem. But the shofar 
is experienced in a number of different ways throughout the Torah and the Tanakh. For example, on Mount Sinai, we talk about the Shofar blast at the destruction of uh, the city of Jericho in the battles, where we blew the Shofar, we now had to battle in times of celebration. So the Shofar is, in many ways, it's a coronation and it's a coronating event. But those are the three themes. So you have Malchiot, Hashem is king. Zichronot Hashem uh, remembers everything that takes place in history and, and through all of, of humanity and all of creation today. And finally, Shofarot, the blowing of the Shofar, which we do today, which ordinarily symbolizes the concept of a coronation, of, a, of an event of significance. Let's put it like that. And each of these things have 10 verses. And when we do the repetition of the Amidah, each of those sections has its own blessing. And after those blessings, we blow the shofar. So if you remember what we, we do in normal years, is we blow the 30 blasts of shofar before Musaf, and then we take the Torah back, and then the Chazan starts, mimas. he says his little prayer, and then he says, Kaddish, and we do the Amidah silently. Then the repetition goes, and we, we do the repetition, we go after Kedusha, and then we start the Malchiot. The Malchiot, that you'll remember, that's where Aleinu comes in. That's when we, everyone bows down and goes down onto their knees. That's Aleinu, and that's the Malchiot. That's the first section. When you finish that, Melech HaKola Aris, Mekadesh Yisrael, Yom HaZikaron. Then we blow the Shofar. We blow the Shofar ten times. So that becomes Tikiya Shvarim Trua Tikiya, Tikiya Shvarim Tikiya, Tikiya Trua Tikiya. We do that. Then we go into the uh, Zichronot. And those were where these Zacharilach, Haben Yakirli, Zacharilach, all those songs that you will probably be familiar with. That's in the second part of Zichronot. You make a blessing in the same order of blown shofar, and then the shofarot, where we just talk about all the times that the shofar came up. Okay, so that's the structure of the day. That's the structure of the davening. What I wanted to actually focus on had nothing to do with any of that, but something that sort of ties it all together, and, and invariably is a story which we. On the one hand, know everything about and know nothing about. And is the theme that comes through the Torah reading of uh, Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah tells, on first day we read about the birth of Yitzchak. And the fact that uh, after longing for a hundred years, well not for a hundred years, but for close to a hundred years for a child, Avram is eventually blessed with a, a child and names him Yitzchak. And, and that becomes day one. And day two tells the, the incredible story of Akedat Yitzchak. And so much of this Akedah becomes part of the Akedah, means the binding of Isaac. That when Hashem comes to Abraham and says, you must take Isaac and bind him, off him as a sacrifice, and Abraham just goes along and does what he's told, that becomes such a central theme of the day. So what I want to do with um, you this evening is to go through the story and try to figure out how it fits into those thematic trends of the day. So to that end, let me share my screen. Okay, so we already have, as you can see, that I've already just spoken about the three different themes of the day. So why do we read the Akedah? Why do we read about the Son of Shoshana? So if you go read the Chumash, it's actually pretty clear, it's pretty straightforward. So this is a, a verse from the book of Vayikra um, that... Uh, Parshat Emor, it says, On the seventh month, on the first of the month, so that's what we call Rosh Hashanah, the first of the seventh month we spoke about yesterday. Yelechem Shabbaton should be a day of rest. Zichron Trua Mikra Kodesh. 
So the word zichron from zocher, yizkor, to remember, zichron trua, the remembrance of the trua, of the blowing of the shofar. So the English translation was you know, commemorated with loud blasts. But Rashi explains over here, zichron trua, zichron psukei zichronot upsukei shofarot. It is referring to the, the, the verses that are about zichronot, that are about the remembrance of Hashem, the remembrance, the psukei shofarot, and the verses referring to the blowing of the shofar. So these are the 10 verses. Rashi is referring to the 10 verses that we read in Musaf. Those 10 verses are zichron shofarot. Okay? So it's for remembrance and for shofar. And he continues, Lischolachem, that you should all remember the sacrifice, the binding of Isaac that was nearly sacrificed, that, that instead of him being sacrificed, a ram was sacrificed. Okay, so Rashi has, through this word, Zichron Trua, has managed to tie together two of the three themes of Rosh Hashanah. The, the Shofarot, why are the Shofar? So why do we blow a Shofar from a ram? Yeah, I mean, a shofar, why don't we just blow a trumpet? Because Yitzhak was supposed to be sacrificed, and that sacrifice was supposed to be, was supposed, and what came instead? Instead came a ram, so we blow the ram's horn specifically. So what's Zichronot? Zichronot is that we should have memory. So Hashem remembers everything, but we should also remember um, what Yitzhak did or what Avraham did. It's an interesting question which we won't deal with. Is it's always called Akedat Yitzchak, the Ban of Isaac, as if it was Isaac's test, but surely it was Avram's test too. So just park that for now. So we have two of the three themes the Zichronot, the memory of Yitzchak, and the Shofarot, the, the, the ram that was supposed to, that was shechted instead of Yitzchak. But we're missing Machiot. So the Akedah, this story that we read on Rosh Hashanah in the Torah reading, seems to cover two of the three bases. But the Malchiot, Hashem being king, um, doesn't seem to, to fit in there. So I would, I have a question here. Wow. Yes, Chazan, if you would like to unmute yourself and you can ask a question. Can you hear me? Yeah. So I clarify, you say that the Zephronot and Shofarot are linked to Akedat Yitzchak, both of them? Yep. Okay. Oh. Just to okay, yeah. So that's that's it. So what we're going to do now is try to figure out is Malchiot as well. And so, you know, I'll give you uh, the short answer. I'd like to suggest that Malchiot as well is connected and that the Akedah covers all the themes. That's going to that's our that's our goal and now I'm going to have to prove. It. All right. So let's let's just talk a little bit about about Avraham. So Avraham is a character that we know him as Avraham Ivri. He is the Hebrew, the word Ivri, what we call Hebrews, means that is on the other side. That's why it's usually understood that Avraham stood on one side of the world and everybody else was on the other. That Avraham was this individual who was able to stand against the, um, the, the, the stream of everybody else, you know, challenging him of his beliefs. And somehow he was able to maintain his firm commitment to Hashem despite everything. But let's go. What we're going to do to now is just go through a little bit of the history of Avram. Some of this you would have heard before. Some of it perhaps not. So the Rambam, Maimonides, when he deals with the laws of idolatry, of paganism, he, he talks, he brings in Avraham as part of that narrative. 
So it doesn't begin... So it's interesting. The way that the Rambam explains paganism is that once upon a time, if you go back all the way to the beginning of Bereshit, is people worshipped Hashem. But then people saw that the elements and nature had been given powers. And they acknowledged that those powers came from Hashem. But, you know, if, uh, if, the, if they say the, the prime minister is all powerful and, and the prime minister has all the power, but the minister of the government, so the minister of finance is not the prime minister, but he has a lot of power because the prime minister has made him the minister of finance. So it, it works like that. So, you, so what happened is people said, well, I've also got to honor the minister of finance because he's been given power by Hashem. Okay, so they say we have to worship. So, so people started worshiping the elements, worshiping the the, the the stars, the stars and the like, and and all other elements, not because they believed them to be independent, but rather because they felt that, um, not that they were to be independent, but rather because Hashem had endowed them with power, and therefore they were worth, worthy of worship. And over the passage of time. That connection was severed, and people just started worshiping the elements. They no longer were worshiping Hashem, they were just worshiping the elements, and that's how the whole concept of paganism got started. And then he goes into, and this is uh, right at the beginning, he starts talking about the story of Avraham. So now I follow this on our screen in front of us. As soon as this giant Avraham was weaned, he commenced to busy his mind. In his infancy, he commenced to think by day and by night he would encounter this enigma. How is it possible that this planet should continuously be in motion and have no leader? And who indeed causes it to be revolve? Is it possible that it should revolve by itself? So we've got a bit of um, Galileo happening over here. But Abraham looks at the world and sees that it, it can't be that this world just happened by itself. There must be you know, some creator that caused it to happen. Now, this is reminiscent of the famous uh, watchmaker theory that if you're wandering through the desert and you find a watch, so you have two options. One is that someone put the watch there or lost the watch there, or the elements sort of came together the passage of time and managed to make, make a watch. And so everyone say, well, that's a bit far-fetched. Obviously, someone dropped it here. So I said, if, if that's true about a watch, how much more so about creation? Creation is far more complex than, than a watch. And if a watch would have to have a creator, the world also would have to have a creator. So that's a very simplified version. But that's what Abraham does. He looks at the world and says, it doesn't make sense that this just came about by itself. So by his correct thinking, here we have here, he understood when he finally saw the light, uh, saw the light, this was the light of righteousness. He knew that there's one God. He, God, leads the planets. He created everything. And all that there, and, and all that there is, no God save he. I there's only one God, and that's it. He knew that the whole world was in error, and that the thing that caused him to err was that they're worshipping the stars and the images brought about a loss of truth from their consciousness. And when Avram was 40 years old, he recognized his creator, and he started to organize disputation with all these pagans, cautioning them, saying, this is not the true path that you are following. And he destroyed the images and commenced preaching to people, warning that it's not right to worship anyone but Hashem. And only to him should we bow down and offer sacrifices and compound offerings. Moreover, it is right to destroy and break in pieces of all the images so that the whole population of the future should not be led in error like those who image, there's no gods of these images. So what happens is Abraham, it's not enough that he believes in Hashem. He goes on a religious, he becomes a missionary, a missionary for monotheism. And 
So one of the stories that you perhaps might have heard, it is brought by Rashi at the end of Pashat Noach, is that Avram's father was a, was a pagan merchant. We know that, if you recall, from, um, from the Pesach Seder. One of the things we just around Behisha Amda, after we say, you know, you know, our forefathers were idol worshippers. Terach, the father of Avraham. So we know that Terach, Avram's father, was an idol worshipper. So the Medrash brings a story that, that, uh, Av- that Terach not only was an idol worshipper, but he was a merchant in, pay, in, in idols. And one day, I don't know, he went off to the races and he left uh, the shop, in, Avram in charge of the shop. And Avram basically took an axe, destroyed all the different idols, except for one which he put in that idol, this axe. And his father came back and saw that all the, all the merchandise had uh, been destroyed. He said, what happened? So Avram said, a woman came in to offer a sacrifice and all the idols started fighting on who deserves the sacrifice. And the big one took, a, took an axe and smashed all the other ones. So his father said, what are you talking about? These are idols, they don't, what are you talking about? So said, they don't move. So, so Avram says, that they don't move, why, do you, why are you worshiping them? They're nothing. So uh, we won't talk more about the chutzpah, but Avram was, was passionate. He was a person who believed that there's only one God, there's only one rational, reasonable, and anyone who doesn't believe that is completely irrational. And, and he goes on this, for lack of a better term, this crusade, that he's going to go and convince people. And we see it, we see it in Pashat Vaira, they had this tent that was open to all sides, that anyone should be able to come and participate. And Avraham was, was convincing. He, he, the, it says the beginning of Pasha Lechlecha, he took with him and Sarah, the Nefesh Asher, Subacharan, all these people that he had converted. Abraham was a dynamic, he was motivated, he was, in, he was um, inspirational. People were moved by him. That he had come to realize the oneness of Hashem, and that's what, that's what made him the patriarch par excellence. That Judaism owes everything it is today and has always been predominantly as a result of the, 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 the original, uh, I wouldn't say creator, but discoverer of, of, uh, of Hashem. So that's Avraham. Now, Avraham, uh, you know, let me just. So when, when we think of Avraham, we often look at, look at Abraham in, in, in a context of, you know, the biblical, the biblical guys had a, you know, they had this relationship with them and life was pretty simple, straightforward. And all you really need to do is go read the, the Torah and realize how complex and difficult the Avot, the, 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 the patriarchs' lives were. It, and it's not just a matter that they were barren and they struggled to have children. But throughout their lives, they, Abraham has 10 tests. His he has to wage war. His wife gets abducted twice. He, he has a son, Ki Ishmael. There's, there's Shalom Bayit issues between his, his uh, concubine and his wife. They're, they're terrible, terrible issues. Abraham does not have it easy. But, but the story, this, the Torah goes in depth in, with Abraham, almost unlike any other character within the, in the Chumash. And he comes to Abraham. This is in Breshit. This is in Pashat Lech Lecha. It says, Sometime Hashem came to Avram and said, Fear not, Avraham, I'm, I'm assured for you, your reward will be very great. So Hashem has consistently been promising Avram, I'm going to give you the land of Israel, and you are going to have this to you, your children, your children's children. It's always going to be yours. So Avram says, Hashem, you know, I mean, I, I, I appreciate it, but what can you give me that I'm, I'm going to die childless? And the one in charge of my house, my is Damesek Eliezer. There's, there's, 
He has a servant named Eliezer. And that's it. So, so all right, you, you tell me, like, it's almost like a bad promise. It's, it's what we're going to see a little bit later in the Chumash with Moshe. He keeps saying, we're going to get out of Mitzrayim. And then Paro says, no. So they bring the blood. And he says, we're going to get out of Mitzrayim. And Paro says, no. So they bring the frogs. And he says, I'm going to bring him up. It just keeps going. It becomes like a broken record. So Hashem has come to Avraham on a number of different occasions and said to him, Avraham, we, we're going to get into, uh, you're going to, this is all going to be you and it's going to be inherited. And you're going to teach generations and you're going to be, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars of the sky and the sand on the, earth, on, on the, on the beaches, the sand on the earth. I don't, there's so much. And Avraham says, listen, uh, to quote my cousin Vinny, there, my biological clock is ticking away. Uh, how much longer can I wait? I'm, um, at this point, Abraham's in his 90s. I mean, uh, each day, it's, it's, it's becoming more and more remote. So Avraham says, the only person who's going to inherit, if I were to die today, you know, uh, okay, Sarah would inherit, but me and Sarah to die today, where does the inheritance go? There's only one person, Eliezer. Eliezer, I have a servant named Eliezer. He's not related to me. I just, that's it. That's all I've got. He gets everything. So he said, I've got like, what am I going to be? So Avram is pained by this. He says, Hashem, you keep promising me. You keep promising Just, I need a child. And that becomes the Torah reading of first day. So finally, at age 100, Avraham has a child. Sarah's in her 90s. And Hashem, Hashem pakadit Sarah, kasher diber. Uh, and Hashem, uh, the Lord took note of Sarah as he had promised. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At a set time which Hashem had spoken. Abraham gave his newborn son, Sarah bore him the name Yitzchak. The name Yitzchak, from Tzchok, Tzchok or Tzachak means to laugh. It says, Then anyone who hears or sees will laugh for us. And when Isaac was eight years old, Avram circumcised him as God had commanded him. Now, Avram was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. That's Tzachak. Everyone who hears will laugh at me. She added, who would have said to Avraham that Sarah would suck her children? Yet I've born a son in his old age. The child grew up and was weaned. And Avram held a great feast in the day that Isaac was weaned. So here we have this. Finally, the, the whole story has done full circle. That Abraham, he, he, he gave up everything. He left his parents, his family, his community. He's going to start this new faith. He's been preaching it for ages in Haran, out in Iraq. And now Hashem has come to him and said, All right, you've been looking for me for the last uh, 90 years, or 70 years, I think it was at the time. Hashem eventually appears to Avram and says, all right, you're going to be, and you're going to go to the land of Israel, and we're going to make you numerous, and that's going to be your land. And Avraham gets, he gets to Israel, and there's famine. But Avram says, it's, no, it's, it's meant to be, and he goes down. And throughout this, he has this commitment of faith to Hashem, and all he wants is a child, and, and the child comes. And now Avram can die in peace, that he has a son that will take over in the prayers of Hashem. He, his prayers to Hashem, and his faith in Hashem is completely uh, vindicated. Then comes this story. And this is, this is the story of second day. Sometimes Avraham, sometime afterwards, Hashem put Avraham to the test. He says, Avraham, and he answered, here I am. He said, take your son, your favorite son Isaac, who you love, and take him to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the heights, one of the mountains that I point out to you. That's it. 
Now, Avraham had time. We've seen Avraham argue with Hashem. When Hashem says, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom, Avraham says, maybe they're 50 righteous men, maybe they're 45, maybe 40. Avraham argues, but here Hashem says, go take Isaac, sacrifice him. And Avraham does. He says, next morning takes him up. He takes the donkey and takes some servants with him and off they go. On the third day, Avram looked up and saw the place from afar. And Avram said to his servants, you stay here. I'll go up. I'm going to paraphrase now. He says, you go up. I'm going to go up with Yitzchak and then I'll come back. And he goes and Yitzchak says to him, you know, Dad, I see that there's a fire here, there's wood, there's a, there's a knife, but what are we going to sacrifice? So Avram says, Hashem will provide the sacrifice, my son. And then a beautiful verse, and the two of them walked on together. That's just... You know, you, you, you feel this, this Avrahamic experience that Avraham has now begun. How long is he? This, this, is, this isn't happening. Go sacrifice your son. So he grows and sacrifices his son. This is the third day. In fact, Rashi, on, this, on, the, on the third day, Avraham saw it. So they've been traveling for three days. Look what Rashi says. So why did Hashem delay this whole process? Wait for three days until, you know, they arrived to the point. Like that. So it says, That people shouldn't say that, you know, Avram, he got this command and he went out of his mind. And he just, he did it. He didn't think about it. There was no thought that went into it. He just did it. And had, had Avram considered what he was about to do for a minute, he would never have done it. So what does Hashem say? I'm going to give you time to process Avram. So he commands him on the Sunday and the sacrifice will be on Tuesday. He says, it's going to be a process. And what you're going to do is you're going to walk from here, from where they were seemingly in Beersheba. You're going to walk up to Jerusalem, and a three-day walk. And for three days, you're going to contemplate this idea. And Avram goes, and the story goes, he goes up, he binds up Isaac, and he's about to kill Isaac. And an angel comes and says, stop. You know, this was all a test. Um, and uh, now we can see that you truly fear Hashem and there's a, there's a ram whose horns are caught in a thicket and he sacrificed the ram. Okay, that's the story. We all know the story. And it's like, what on earth, like, why we read in Rosh Hashanah is one thing, but what on earth was Hashem trying to achieve here? I mean, it's, it's, it's the most bizarre story that Hashem says, you know, I want you to sacrifice your son. And then at the end he says, ah, oh, I don't want you to sacrifice your son. So, so, I've seen people suggest that, you know, that, that the fact that he was prepared to sacrifice his son is, uh, was, was this great thing. Now, as much as, uh, God forbid, anyone should have to do such a thing, the reality is, is that um, sacrificing children is not unique to Abraham. It, firstly, we have, a, we have a Torah prohibition called Molech. Molech was a, um, a form of paganism that existed throughout the biblical times where parents would sacrifice their children. And we know this throughout the ancient world. That is not, it might not have been common, but it wasn't that bizarre that people would sacrifice children. But even within our own history, through, whether it be history in, in the times of the Shoah, throughout the Crusades, we just had Tisha B'Av. And Tisha B'Av, some of the lamentations that we read talk about the fact that when the church, when the Crusaders came through, marauding through Jewish communities, and parents had the option, they said, they're going to kill me and take my child and convert them to, to Christianity. I'd rather my child die a Jew than live a Christian. They would, sacri- they would kill their own children to save them from converting to Christianity. I mean, it's something that the modern mind boggles at thinking of that level of faith. But, but the idea that a person is prepared to sacrifice their child 
for something that is of great of of a value that's not unique to Abraham. It's not unique to Judaism. It's not unique to anyone. We see all over the world that people are prepared to sacrifice their children. And despite what you may think, it's not that other people don't love their children as much as we love. We just all accept there are values in life that are more important than, than life. That sometimes we have to give up our lives and sometimes give up the lives of those that we love for, for an ideal that is greater. So what, so what is the chap here? So seemingly, let me get back to my screen. The difference between Avraham and everything else is, is um, not that Avraham was prepared to sacrifice his, his son, that he'd longed for for a hundred years, and that, that was going to be the future of the Jewish people. That wasn't the, 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 the key. The key for Abraham was that Abraham had dedicated his life to ethical monotheism. We saw early in his, his childhood, he said, it's crazy. You guys worshipping stars, you're worshipping things that have nothing. You should worship one God. And the, the God that we worship, he has no need for human sacrifice. He has no need for your, your frivolous worship. My God is a God of compassion. My God is a God of love. My God is the God that wants us to be better and make the world a better place, not one that demands the kind of paganist rituals that you guys are accustomed to. And he's been preaching this for a hundred years. Because it says, Rambam says, from when he was weaned, and then 40, you know, 60 years he's been preaching this. And then Hashem comes to him and says, you know, for the last 60 years, you've been, um, you've been preaching something. I'm now going to command you to do the complete opposite. Everything that you've been preaching for the last 60 years, give it up. You've been telling everyone that God doesn't want human sacrifice, do a human sacrifice. I've told you that your children, you, your son, that you waited 100 years for, that you were so doubtful of the fact that you would have a child and you weren't sure that how would this f- promise be fulfilled. And now what's going to happen is I'm going to kill that son. Well, I'm going to get you to kill that son. And now no, no one's going to be able to take over from after you. And that's, that's my command. End of transmission. No more communication from Hashem. And Avram has now three days. Is like, you know, I've just, for the last, last six years, I've been preaching this. I've managed to get a following. I've done this all for the sake of Hashem. I've done this to bring glory of Hashem into the world. And now Hashem is asking me to torpedo the whole system. In one, I'm going to go sacrifice Yitzhak. I'm going to be... It's going to kill my wife, which it does kill Sarah. It's going to, everyone who follows me is going to call me a hypocrite. Everything I've worked for in trying to do what I believed was the truth and was so obviously the truth is going to be completely undermined in, in one swoop. And, and I'm going to be left childless, uh, wifeless and followerless. And Hashem says, that's the command. So the fascinating medrash that you can see on the screen in front of you says, what happened over those three days? And this will lead a little bit on, uh, follow on a little bit from what we read last night. So we talked about the Satan. Now the Satan, for those who weren't here last night, uh, the Satan usually refers to the Yetzirah or some inner, inner negative um, concept within ourselves. It's not an external force like, like Christians would have the Satan or the devil, but rather it is this internal dialogue that we have, the struggle. So the, the, the Medrash, what is the story? It says, Satan met him on the way in the guise of an old man. 
The man said to him, where are you going? So Avram, like, I'm going to go daven. He says, you're going to daven? You've got a knife, you've got wood. Why are you going to daven? He says, oh, you know, we might stay a few days. You need to make some food and like. So the Satan says to him, was I not there when the Holy One told you to sacrifice your child? And, and he says, when an old man like you go and kill, kill a son, give him to him at the age of 100, you're going to go kill Yitzhak? Are you out of your mind? Have you not heard the saying, Wet, which he had, he threw away, and now he asked for others? Now, I'm not sure whether, I'm sure that's uh, in, in Mishle, in, in Book of Proverbs. It's like, you give someone a, a, a shekel, and they throw it away, and they say, please, can I give me a shekel? That's what you're going to do. And if you think you might have another son, then will you obey the accuser and destroy a life which you've been held guilty by law? So meaning that this man, the Satan, this is like saying, you are out of your mind, Abraham. Maybe you misheard God. Maybe that's not what God really wanted. Just, you know, you've got to be, it's crazy to do this. And Abraham says, I have to listen to Hashem. Because faith means I listen to Hashem even when it doesn't make sense. How, how does this work? How does this whole system work, Avraham? And Avraham's answer is, I don't know. I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. For Avraham's whole life, everything made sense. It had, it had logic. Hashem was a logical deduction. Going to the land of Israel, having children. This was logical. It was, it was following a trajectory that made sense. But all of a sudden, nothing makes sense. And we are stuck in this situation where I have to give up my Judaism to believe in Hashem. That's the test of the Akedah. So there's a, there's a famous line in Pirka Avot from Hillel. And Hillel says as follows, Do not trust yourself until the day of your death. Which means never have the confidence to be sure that you are right until you die. And even when you die, like when you're gone, you never know you're right. All you can know is best guess. I'm trying my best. I'm trying to make a decision. I think this is the right way to go. It makes sense. I'm going to go. There. But you know what? New information is going to arise and I might have to readjust my thinking because I was wrong. Even though I've committed years and years and passion and funds into a particular way of thinking, way of living, maybe I've got it all wrong. I'm on a best guess. Not absolutely. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a Zoom where we talked about um, the concept of cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance meant that when my will doesn't, when, when the, what I'm, I know should be happening and what I'm doing are out of sync. So, so I smoke, even though I know it's unhealthy for me. So one of two things have to happen. You either have to change the way you think about it, say actually smoking is not so bad or the medical you know, evidence isn't compelling, or you have to stop smoking because we can't live with the hypocrisy. But it's only you're only a hypocrite if you feel you have to stick to a particular line of thinking. So, don't, don't trust yourself. Don't think you are right and know with confidence. Don't allow yourself to be confident because you might be wrong. So, listen to this, Gomorrah. I, I, I was going through some of my old roshes, and so this is something I might have quoted. But I'm going to just, um, it, it's the most powerful, powerful story. So, let me give you a little bit of the background to the story. So, just before the destruction of the second temple, so you have the Romans that have been um, 
uh, laying a siege on Yerushalayim. And it's getting to the point where it's clear that we're going to lose and the temple is going to be destroyed. And people are starving. And there's this fear not only that of the, the pending doom to the Jewish people and, 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 and the death that lies in wait, but this deep fear that this is the end of Judaism, that they're going to come in and we're going to be exiled and there's no future to Judaism. So the leader of the Jewish community was an individual named Yochanan ben Zakkai. And he managed to smuggle himself out. He, he, he pretended to be dead. He laid in a casket. They carried out to bury him. And he went to go meet um, the local Roman leader who was in charge of the, of the siege. And the story goes that he was able to ask for three requests. Or he asked for three requests. And one of them is, is famous known, Tenli Yavne Vechachameha. Give me Yavne and its sages. Let me open up a yeshiva in Yavne. Yavne is near Ashkelon, down south of Israel. So let me, let me go open up a yeshiva there. And the Gemara says, why didn't you just ask, ask them to not destroy Jerusalem? So the Gemara says, uh, he realized that that was a bit beyond him. So the Romans granted him this wish. And even though they destroyed the temple and they sent everyone into exile, they allowed a small group of Rabbanim to go down to Yavne, set up a yeshiva. And that yeshiva became the place where the Mishnah was developed was started becoming developed. And everything we have today that is part of Judaism is solely as a result of Yochanan ben Zakkai. His efforts were the things that saved us. If it wasn't for Yochanan ben Zakkai, Judaism would have been destroyed. Not just the temple, but Judaism. That is his, and there are a number of other things that Yochanan ben Zakkai did, but that is what he's most known for, is that what the oral tradition, the survival of the oral tradition through the destruction of the temple is a result of Yochanan ben Zakkai. So listen to the story that the Talmud tells, the Gemara says, at the end of his life. Let's see if I can get it. His students came to visit him. And when he saw them, he started crying. They say, why are you crying? You are... After everything you've done with your life, why are you crying? So he says, if I was going to a king of flesh and blood, whose decrees, so today he's here, tomorrow he's dead. And if he gets cross for me, his anger won't last forever. And if he punishes me, the punishment won't last forever. And even if he kills me, the death won't last forever. And nevertheless, and I could bribe him if I had to. And even that was, I'd be frightened. If I was caught in front of a king, I'd be frightened. And now they're going to bring me in front of Hashem. So it says, Hashem is eternal. And if Hashem is angry with me, He'll be angry forever. And if He punishes me, the punishment will be forever. And if He kills me, that's it, I'm dead forever. I can't appease Hashem. I can't bribe Him. And here's the key. And furthermore, as I lie on my deathbed, there are two paths in front of me. One leads to Gan Eden, to heaven. And one's leading to hell. Meaning one is good, one's bad. And I don't know which one I'm going to go on. 
like you read something like that. It's, this is Yochanan ben Zakkai. Up until that point, possibly one of the greatest leaders we've ever had. Definitely post-biblical, the greatest leader we've had. The whole Jewish world owes its survival to Yochanan ben Zakkai. And what happens at the end of his life? He sits there crying because he doesn't know if he was right. He said to, I think it was Vespasian, he says, give me, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have done things differently. Maybe I should have asked for Yerushalayim. Who knows? Maybe I was wrong. And instead of doing so much good and so much right, I've done everything wrong. And hell awaits me. That's Don't believe in yourself up until your very day. All you can be is uncertain. You cannot be sure. You cannot be confident. You can only say, Hashem runs the world and I, as a, just a traveler on this path of life, am going to do my best to make sense of the world. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I, maybe I've missed the boat. And that is what Malchiyot is. Malchiyot, the first section of Musaf, is Hashem is king. Hashem runs this world. This is not my world that runs according to the logic that I fathom. It runs according to the way Hashem. Lo God says, the way you think is not the way I think. The way you do things is not the way I do things. You man, I'm Hashem. We operate completely different. Do not think that this is going to always make sense. And that you can live with the certainty and confidence and surety and self-assurance that you are making all the right decisions, we don't know. And that's what I'd like to suggest is the third point that the Akedah brings in. That Avraham, whose whole life has been seemingly on a very simple, straightforward trajectory, God comes and says, you know everything you're certain about yesterday? I'm not going to make it completely uncertain. And now let's see if you serve Hashem. When everything you believe has been crumbled in front of you, do you believe in Hashem? Do you believe in Torah? Do you believe in the world because it fits into your logic and your mindset and the way you believe the world should run? Or you, you, you follow them because that's, what, because that's what Hashem says. And life doesn't always make sense. We just do our best guesses. We, do, we research. You've got to be logical. You've got to be rational. You've got to keep questioning, keep questioning. But never hold on to your philosophies as if they're always right. It just may be right for now, or right based on the information you've been fed. But as time goes on, all of that will change. And you have to be willing, like Avraham, to change as well. That when Hashem comes and says, do something that is completely counter to your ration, you don't ask questions, you don't look left and right, you just go forward. And that's what I'd like to suggest about the Akedah. It is a story that has all the themes of Rosh Hashanah in it. It's the theme of Zichronot. We remember the sacrifice of Yitzchak. We remember the coronations of the Shofar. But we remember Hashem runs the world, which means I don't. And all I can do is try my best to navigate this challenging path. And I'd like to suggest that that is the, that's the take that I have on this year's uh, story of the Akedah. I hope, um, hope it works with you. Um, it's definitely not a message you have not heard from me before. You've heard that drosha at least 20 times in different contexts. But it's, it's a way that I think we have to. And if, if you're the same person today that you were five years ago, then you, you believe too much in yourself. You have to be able to be open to changing consistently. 
All right, everybody. Thank you very much. I'm going to allow everybody to unmute themselves if they would like to. And then I'm going to, if anyone would like to ask any questions, let me remove my spotlight. Yeah, okay. Anyone, if you have any questions, please unmute yourself and ask away. Going. Going. And gone. I assume everyone can. Awesome, uh, awesome share, Rabbi. Well, thank you, Mrs. Krebs. I, I appreciate the feedback. It's, uh, it's always nice to have a new face in my shear. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, Come back anytime. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rabbi. Th- thanks, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Uh, please, God, we'll be together in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking specifically ha- the hows of Rosh Hashanah. How are we going to do Rosh Hashanah without... Uh, without everything this year. So if you do have um, shofars, I've seen on the, the emails that Rabbi Cohen will be um, hopefully teaching people to blow shofar, but we will go through all the other bits and pieces of how you can make a very challenging Rosh Hashanah still a very meaningful Rosh Hashanah. All right. Thank you, bro. All right, everybody. Have a Laila Tov. Thank you.